1: Welcome to the new series of the Olive Magazine podcast, Raise Your Cooking Game. I'm Janine, Deputy Editor and Podcast Host. Each episode, I'll be consulting our cookery team experts to take a deep dive into a different subject with tips, tricks and advice for getting it right. And do listen out for our weekly bonus episodes where we'll be focusing on a classic recipe from the archive and explaining how to make it with perfect results every time. This episode, I'm joined by Olive's food editor Anna Glover. Welcome, Anna. Hi. Um, and we're going to be talking about your pet subject, which is roasts. Um, can you share your roast credentials with us?
0: I love that roast credentials. Um, so I've been recipe writing for around ten years. Uh, quite, and I'm obviously uh, northern, so I do love a roast dinner. Uh, my auntie and uncle have a farm in Wales, that, and they raise cattle. Um, they have. Sheep and cows, so they um, send a lot of meat to supermarkets. So I used to go there quite a lot and help out with them on the farm, and obviously get paid in <laughs> in, in roast dinners. So um, yeah, I absolutely love a roast dinner, one of my desert island dishes. So looking forward to chatting everything roast
1: today. Okay, so we'll we'll, we'll kick off with our um, little steps to success um, section. So can you tell us five things? you can do to make your roast better sure So let, let's start with um the first thing you said was uh i think it was using the right kit yeah so
0: uh let's start off with the sort of basics um you need the best roasting dish for 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 your meat is uh, that's a that's really good tip to start with so if you're doing something that's quite fast maybe like a small roast like a small um roast beef or a chicken you need something you need a roasting tin that's quite shallow so you can get the hot air circulating around the whole uh sort of joint which will give you really really good color and you'll get an even um you get an even temperature around the whole the whole joint And um, but if you're doing something like a slow roast sort of um more like pork belly or sort of pork shoulder or something, you want to be able to catch all of the delicious fat and all of the flavourings as it's slow cooking. So you want those to sort of pool in the bottom. So you want something that's got a good lip, say like four centimetres, five centimetres, but you also want the meat to be above it. So you don't want it to be too deep that it's sort of like drowning in it. You want it to be sort of over the top of the lip. And that will mean that when you remove the foil or for the last cu- sort of like 20 minutes of cooking, when you uh, sort of bump the temperature up, you you'll get a really nice um crust on the on the meat.
1: Mm. So it's worth investing in a really decent, like a solid roasting tin, I guess.
0: Yeah the, it's sort of a pet hate of mine is having those really shallow sort of thin uh, roasting dishes that sort of warp when they go in the oven and you sort of get oil dripping from one side so it's really good it's important to have sort of heavy juicy ones and also uh, depending on what hob you have it's good to transfer it if you're making gravy with the pan juices you want something sturdy enough to be able to sit on the hob to to make the gravy after the when the meat's roast, uh, resting.
1: Yeah it's not. I mean I think there's quite a lot out there with you know decent sort of um like non-stick or 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 that like really solid hard anodized surface so you can actually put it straight onto a a flame or a hob or something that just saves you so much washing up as well
0: yeah I find it really useful especially if like for smaller joints if you want to sear the meat on the hob before you transfer it to the oven I find that it's really useful to have those sort of sturdy non-stick trays and also if they go in the dishwasher that's even better as
1: well cool what about um what about sort of temperature control because yeah I mean this is all happening in the oven isn't it what's what sort of things can we um be looking out for so um temperatures
0: in ovens do vary so it's always good to have uh, your own temperature thermometer in the oven but also having a probe thermometer is really useful so um it's it does take it takes the guesswork out of out of cooking meat. Uh, you just sort of probe the inside of the meat to check what the temperature is. Um, I think that's it's really useful for sort of rare beef and things like that where there is some some sort of guesswork without the instant-read thermometer. But also, um, if you start quite high, then you get a really lovely colorization on the meat. You get caramelization. And then, if you turn the heat low for the duration of the cooking, it means that you don't get as much evaporation. You don't get as much sort of. You're less likely to get um, dry meat because you that slow cooking. Say if you've got something with quite a lot of fat marbling through it, that's got some time to be able to sort of melt and baste the meat as it cooks. But you'll still get that lovely golden crust with the temperature high at the start. Yeah. So how,
1: how long would you do that that blast for? What's the sort of optimum temp-
0: so depending, time? So depending on what it is, maybe like 20, 30 minutes. Um, especially for something like crackling, you really want to sort of pork crackling. You really want that high temperature at the start for 20 minutes. Uh, and then the lower temperature will mean that you get sort of uh, a,
1: a lot, of, like juicier meat and tender mm-hmm. meat. Does it matter which end you do it at? Because I've seen recipes where you do like blast feet at the start or blast of heat at the end but you're kind of doing the same thing i guess
0: yeah i think it's really good doing it at the start because you're kickstarting that process especially if you're doing crackling because you can get you sort of start to blister the skin and you've got that um of that initial process already already sorted and it's like the groundwork's been done but i really like then blasting it at the end as well just turning it up because it's almost like an insurance policy just to make sure that you've got it perfect so I quite like doing um sort of high, low, high.
1: yeah, cool. And what about and I know you mentioned that you're you've um got a family farm, so obviously you're used to like wrestling quite nice big joints. How do you feel about the sort of off bone on bone cooking? Um, there's There are pros and cons to both. And I do, I really
0: enjoy cooking with both. I think when you've got on the bone, say so something like um, a rib of beef, I think it just looks absolutely stunning. If you take it to the table and you carve it at the table, I think it's absolutely gorgeous. It's such a centrepiece. It's great for sort of like big special occasions. The bone is a conductor of heat as well, so it will cook quicker. So it's always good to maybe check 20 minutes before the end of the cooking time just to make sure that you're with your instant read thermometer, just to make sure that, you know, your you're way where, where you're at in terms of the, the um, temperature. But I do really like the... Um, the idea that you could take the bone marrow as well—if you've got the—if you've got like a river beef or something—you could even stir that into the gravy or just serve it like whipped into mashed potatoes or something. Yeah, it, it, it is—it's sort of like it's a bit overlooked. If you've, you know, you just think it looks really impressive, but actually, it is an ingredient you can use in your roast dinner as well. Uh, some people say it tastes better with the bone in. I—I I, I don't know. I'm sort of on the fence on that one. But the, with off bone, I do th- think it's a lot easier to carve. So and also if you're searing something or you know you're sort of getting that really golden colour at the start of cooking before you're before the whole duration of cooking it is easier I think to get a more even crust um if it's not got the bone in.
1: And what what about resting because that's one of my bugbears that people just don't do it enough or don't do it long enough.
0: I think um with with resting it's so important because you almost don't think about it you think that um it wouldn't make a difference. But actually, if you think when it's in the oven, it's sort of really sort of um, it's, it's so hot that it's sort of the muscle is squeezing and it's squeezing all that liquid right into the centre. And then if you carved it straight away, you would lose all of that liquid straight to the platter and it wouldn't be reabsorbed into the meat. Whereas those, even if it's 10 minutes, depending on how sort of big the piece of meat is, 10, 20, 30 minutes, that sort of it relaxes the muscle relaxes and you get that sort of the liquid is or the juices are sort of dispersed back into the meat so you'll get a lot less waste liquid when you sort of slice you'll have that lovely
1: juicy tender meat so it's really really important and I think it keeps cooking as well doesn't it like at temperature wise there's like a once you've taken it out of the oven, I think it, it does it go up another certain amount of degrees. Yeah.
0: So um, if you're doing an instant read, always take it out five degrees below where you want it to go. So if you think like it's sort of it'll always, it'll keep cooking because it's like a big chunk of meat that sort of retains its heat. Um, it'll keep cooking through the centre. So sort of take it out five degrees less than what you where you want it to be, and also. I always think when people wrap it really, really tightly in foil, it starts to, it cooks it even more and you sort of, you lose maybe some of that crispness, especially with like a roast chicken. If you wrap it and it'll steam and then sort of go, go back onto the crispy skin. So sort of wrap it loosely in foil. You, you don't want
1: it to obviously get cold, but um, don't wrap it so it's touching the skin. So just moving on, we're going to talk about some common misconceptions that people have around roasting meat. Um one thing that i see a lot is this like obsession with basting like basting the meat can we talk about that for a bit oh
0: yeah it's always like um it's it's quite traditional with like turkeys isn't it everyone sort of bastes their turkey religiously every every sort of 10 15 minutes but i actually think you get better skin on poultry sort of chicken or turkey if you don't baste so i think that you get sort of crisper more golden sort of crackling almost in the chicken skin if you don't baste it and I feel um because you sort of like you're not getting the the skin soggy again so um I think it's really good for a crust so if you're thinking like a steak or maybe like a big sharing steak that you're going to roast or um a rib I think it's really good for getting a good sizzling golden crust for sort of meat but for skin it's not and also for pork belly as well like you you wouldn't do you want it to be as dry as possible to get that lovely crunch
1: Stick around for more expert roasting advice from Anna. Another thing that I find slightly frustrating is when you see, especially sort of if you, you know, if you if you bought like a pack of, a, a pre-packed bit of meat from the supermarket or whatever, and it gives you like a timing based on the weight, which is kind of fine as a guide, but it's not always the best way to to do it, is it? Yeah, I
0: think it's it's a good uh guide I'd say but at the same time all pieces of meat and all different cuts are all uh different sizes. So not just in weight but also like in length. If they could be like a lot longer, fatter. And I think um the the sort of the thinner the piece of meat is obviously the less time it's going to take for the heat to penetrate to the center. So it's always a good idea to um use it as a guide rather than gospel and you yeah you use a temperature probe instead but also just using your sort of um like your common sense like if you've got a really really big chunky piece of piece of beef um it's going to take a lot longer than if it was sort of like longer and thinner like a like a fillet for example
1: and we said as well like ovens ovens can vary quite wildly can't they in terms of temperature so things might be actually cooking faster than you think they are or slower than you think that yeah
0: and they also have hot spots as well so especially um important for things like uh fillet so where you've sort of got quite you've sort of going from one end of the oven to the other you can actually one side can cook a lot quicker so it's always good to sort of rotate it and maybe probe it a few times um in different places going just to the middle as well and also make sure not to touch the bone when you're doing the probing as well if you're doing like a rib or something
1: mm-hmm. also um another common misconception is the kind of the roast of like, you know, doing it really kind of hot and fast because that's kind of how, you know, that kind of sizzling roast thing. But I think you're a fan of the other way as well, aren't you? Yeah, I think, um, I think I always considered roasting to be that sort of
0: blast it for, you know, a short time you get a really golden colour on the outside and then sort of maybe, pink in the middle or you know but actually with beef especially when it's marbled you do need that lower temperature to be able to melt some of that sort of sort of tougher tougher fat that may go through through the meat um and that will make that will baste it as well as it's cooking internally rather than sort of over the top um and i do i really like it for chicken as well i feel like you get a lot you get a juicier chicken if you do a higher temperature first so you'll get that lovely golden crisp skin and then lower you sort of the meat seems to like fall off the bone rather than sort of being a bit more tough because it's been sort of higher, a bit more like a bit more evaporation. So it's a bit more sort of tougher.
1: Yeah. And I think you get a lot more, it, it it protects it a bit more. You do end up with a lot more juices to kind of make things like, you know, gravy, which I think we can all agree is um, indisputable in a roast. (laughs)
0: Um, I don't know I have to I, I love a roast that's a little bit different I don't think all roasts need to
1: come with roast potatoes oh and God. gravy Anna, come on you are northern <laughs> sorry I'm not going to allow it you know you know um, we've got this kind of joke that whenever I go up north you um my, my sister is obsessed with extra gravy so she always asks for extra gravy even before they've put the gravy down she's like can I have extra gravy but if you go to a pub in Newcastle they will bring you extra gravy as well as gravy on your plate without even asking so let's talk about some other kind of flavor boosters and heroes stuff you can twist your roast up a bit with what kind of things would you use yeah obviously like gravy
0: is very close to my heart I absolutely love it um, but there are so many things that you can do that maybe don't involve roast potatoes and cauliflower cheese. Um, I actually love sort of slow roasting lamb shoulder um, under foil and then taking the foil off for the last 20 minutes and sort of uh, turning the heat up. So you get a lovely crisp, golden sort of uh, skin and then shredding it. So it sort of fall off the bone and then uh, serving that with flatbreads and things. Um, that's really really nice Uh, just as a little alternative to like a Sunday lunch and you could even do sort of um, like a mint dressing for that like a mint chutney would be uh, lovely instead of the classic mint sauce so take it down a sort of um, a more shawarma route than um, the classic gravy Um, or you could do a roast chicken with like a pilaf which would be lovely instead of roast potatoes like a carrot pilaf um they're really nice but but ways to sort of flavor the meat or change the meat i really like using salt as a as a flavor so sort of uh, making different flavored salts um and sort of doing those as a dry brine before cooking so you're sort of doing a lot of the work is done before it even goes in the oven so um i really like with roast chicken just sort of passing it dry making sure the skin's really dry and then sprinkling it with a bit of salt maybe some sort of thyme leaves some lemon zest things like that and then putting it in a trivet and putting it in the fridge overnight and that sort of draws out some of the liquid doesn't sit on the skin so it drips down onto a tray um and then you get a lovely crispy crispy skin and that sort of flavor infuses through the meat which is which is really nice Oh, sounds um, gorgeous
1: so is that like a brine kind of thing like a yeah, dry brine
0: yeah I really in- I really like dry brining because I I get a bit confused with the maths of wet brining you know the sort of like the salinity and the percentages so I really like just sort of making flavoured salts with say like even doing like dry um, ground cumin or fennel or chilli or something and then just stirring that with a tablespoon of sort of flaky salt and then just sprinkling sprinkling that liberally over over the bird I don't think you need as, as much salt as sort of and you don't really need to sort of Way out I just really like sort of salting the skin leaving it overnight uncovered and you get sort of loads of flavour in there without having to sort of without too much effort but the other thing that I really like doing is sort of using vinegar or wine as a as a brine so you've not got that sort of percentage of salt and you just sort of You can, um, white wine marinade is lovely for lamb. So if you just sort of chop some onions, maybe some garlic and bay leaves and just a slosh of white wine and put the lamb in in it and then just pass it dry before you roast it, you get really, really lovely like Mediterranean flavours going through the meat. So we did the uh, vinegar brine on the June cover, the buffalo chicken. So we've got um, a vinegar brine. So it's got some salt in there and vinegar and you just leave it skin side down for an hour in the fridge before you barbecue it or roast it and it's just something really really magical to the meat and I really like doing that.
1: That's my I've never ever come across a vinegar brine before. No. Just my, it
0: is, where does that come
1: from? I think, the idea? I think it's the
0: love of vinegar in me like I absolutely love vinegar and also the idea of salt and vinegar together it's it's a dream I mean it works on crisps. But as a, a
1: brining thing I can see how it would start working because it's uh you know it starts like having an effect on the meat and the skin doesn't it so yeah so like the really citrus like with yeah.
0: yeah like the citrus on fish sort of curing the curing yeah, fish gonna have it to try that. breaks down the protein but only with too long uh so like an hour or two not no, no yeah. longer because it all starts to break down the proteins a bit too yeah more, you know, yeah, yeah brilliant machine. and then um, what about
1: other flavorings what kind of like you know different flavorings can we bring into it
0: so um a lot of I really, really like using sort of harissa on on lamb or uh, chicken and I love sort of mixing the combination of chilli and sweet and, and sort of like spicy and sweet. So I love doing harissa and honey together. But obviously with the with the sugar and the honey, you, you add it for the last like 10, 15 minutes of cooking, not from the start, so that so the sugar doesn't burn, but you get a gorgeous glaze. Uh, it's, it's great on sort of, um, you could do that on lamb or chicken uh, or even duck, it'd be delicious on duck. Um, and then I kind of like to take it in a maybe gochujang soy sauce rice vinegar sort of paste. So if you if you um, sort of stir them in a pan, maybe with some brown sugar and to make a puree and then spoon that over a slow cooked pork for the last 10 or 15 minutes. That's absolutely amazing. And then when you shred it, that sauce sort of like caramelised sauce goes into the meat. It's um, it's really good on sort of buns and things like that, bread buns. Go,
1: gochujang is the, it's a spicy um korean red pepper yeah paste, yeah isn't it? it's Just like a fermented,
0: fermented chili paste um it's got a really really savory umami kind of spicy flavor but it's it's really sort of deep and it, it's it's so nice roasted because it sort of concentrates the flavor and it works really well on meat or you know vegetables
1: yeah and it's actually i think a lot of supermarkets have kind of embraced it because it got really popular last year and they've now started having it in their little um you know, they're sort of cooked rangers, which is great because it just means it's more accessible to people. Yeah. What about things like flavoured butters? Because they're always good for like shoving under skin. And
0: Yeah, I, it always reminds me of um, turkey, you know, when you're trying to put a layer of butter in, the <laughs> in between the skin. But I don't think it's just for Christmas. There's loads of stuff you can do with it. So um, sort of like lemon and sage. And mace is really delicious with chicken as well on a roast chicken. So if you just mash it together and then sort of like spoon it, um, in between the the skin and the and the meat of the the, the chicken before roasting it's sort of um it, it as it melts it bastes the meat but also you get a lovely sort of crispy skin so you're not covering the skin as well um or you could do a lovely sort of anchovy butter for lamb if you wanted to do sort of um for the last Sort of 50 minutes of cooking, just spoon it over and so it melts into the meat rather than, you know, because a lot of people sort of poke holes uh, with a knife into into the lamb leg. And I really like doing that. um But it's almost like the deluxe version of that. If you do like a butter with those flavors and spoon it over, you get a lovely sort of sauce to spoon over when you carve the meat. Yeah. And
1: that's, I mean, because you get the richness from the butter and it's like a carrier for all the flavors. And because it's kind of, sticky it stays in place and just keeps everything there and nice and that's great really really lovely ideas there Anna thanks so much for that and thanks for all the tips and tricks you've given us in this episode um lovely to see you and thanks for coming to chat to us today thank you very much that was the Olive Magazine podcast for more information on things we talked about in this episode and to check our back catalogue of over 200 episodes head to olivemagazine.com